Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. Today, I will be talking to Maura Bogue about the creative process. This will be a far-reaching conversation, no doubt, from the practical to the spiritual and everything in between. If you are a professional writer or simply just enjoy writing, then this show is definitely for you. But the tools and practices we talk about will be universal to all forms of creativity, whether you're painting or designing a business plan. It doesn't matter if you're looking to be more creative in a hobby space, at work, or just in general, you will surely benefit from this conversation. Maura is a writer, writing coach, former managing editor, and senior training strategist for Global Press Institute, and the creator of Alchemy, a conscious company that offers creative services to enlightened entrepreneurs. Maura helps her clients tap into their creativity and inner wisdom, improve their writing skills, and discover their purpose. Above all, she aims to unite using an ancient, universal self-realization system inspired by the integration of opposites light and dark, masculine and feminine, divine and mortal. And if you're wondering what that means, we will cover it today in the show. Mora has traveled to 30 different countries, taught on every continent except Antarctica, graduated summa cum laude as the female valedictorian from the University of Richmond, and wields multiple 500-hour certifications in yoga, which she seamlessly incorporates into her writing coaching services. It's as if your work and your yoga practice become one, and you wonder how you were ever able to create anything before any other way. I've worked with Maura off and on for years, and I can say that she has transformed the way I approach my writing. What I love about her services is that she blends spirituality and personal development into all of her offerings. She has always been there for me in ways that I've never experienced in any other working relationship. Her ability to recognize the mental support that is needed when working with someone's creativity is what sets her apart. I am not exaggerating when I say that I would have never sustained as a food writer in Honolulu, got a book deal, or finishing writing my first manuscript if it had not been for the support of this woman. Mora not only gave me the confidence to keep pursuing my writing, but the mental training, practical tools, and direction I needed in order to improve my craft. She taught me how to follow my intuition when it comes to taking on writing assignments and pitching stories, how to find the deeper meaning in everything I write about, and to celebrate every assignment and personal project I finish so that I enjoy the process every step of the way. She definitely has helped me become more creative in my life, and honestly, I cannot imagine how I would have survived the last four years without her. And with that, I'd like to introduce Maura Bogue. Maura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. It is a privilege and pleasure to connect with you in this space. It's such a privilege and pleasure to connect with you in this space, too. And thank you so much for being such a huge mentor and influence in my life. The pleasure is all mine, Sarah. It is such an inspiration to co-create with you. And I'm so proud of everything that you've put into the world and all of the people that you inspire through your writing. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, thanks. Can you please share with our listeners where you are living right now and what it looks like? I'm just curious in your part of the world, 
with everything that's going on with the pandemic and the protests? Absolutely. So right now I live in a small coastal city called San Sebastian, Spain, and it's relaxed here. You know, um, everyone followed protocol when it came to the pandemic so that now we're returning to, to normal life. And uh, we haven't had any protests here. It's looked more like, um, you know, different art, expressing people's viewpoints, as well as, um, you know, dancing in the street. And so it's been a pretty peaceful expression of, of people's truths around this critical topic. Yeah, awesome. So I, I just wanted to tell our listeners out there who are wondering about your extensive travels that you're basically a nomad. So it's very common for my first question to be with Maura when I talk to her, where are you? <laughs> and <laughs> that's usually the first thing that, that I ask when we, when we hop on the phone. So what I'm wondering is if you could share a bit about why you love the nomad lifestyle, why it is important to you, and how this pandemic is affecting you mentally right now and not being able to travel. Absolutely. So as you'll see when we talk more about creativity is that for me, everything comes from our source, from our spirit. And our spirit for me is talking to us throughout our whole life. It's giving us messages from the time that we're born to guide us on our path. I believe that we each have a unique purpose or what we call our, our dharma and yoga in life and it's constantly giving us guidance so that we can take the steps that we need to fulfill our unique destiny on this planet in service of the wholeness and ever since i was little i was always just so attracted to the globe um, any kind of map game anytime in school we were learning maps i was so eager to memorize where all the countries were and the capitals when I'd read the newspaper as a kid while eating breakfast before school, I would skip right past the local news section, even though as a child, I was not going anywhere outside of my, my town. Mm -hmm. I'd blow right past the national news section and I'd always go right to the international news, just hungry to know what was going on in, in the rest of the planet. And so it's just something that has always been within me. And then I was fortunate enough Actually, the town where I live now is where I studied abroad in, in university, and it was one of the first, it was the first country I traveled to outside of North America, and I remember getting here and just feeling like, oh, I feel like I'm home. I feel like I've been here before, and so it started to give me the idea that different places around the planet for us can act as these as the source of creativity as well sure. in terms of giving us yeah. more messages around our purpose in life. Mm -hmm. um, and then after university, I was fortunate enough to um, work as an international journalist. And I started traveling to train reporters around the world. And, you know, as I would build these connections, it, it became more than about the story. It became about these relationships um, with these female reporters in more than 25 countries. And it just, you know, for me then, although I was so fascinated by everything that we were covering, the biggest story for me became that we are all connected. You know, it doesn't matter where we are from. It doesn't matter our age, our gender, skin color, religion, anything to be able to build these connections in all of these countries and feel like this is my family. These are my friends really started to, 
to show me why I was traveling. Yes, you know, we see beautiful things when we travel and we learn so much. But for me, travel has always been about making that connection with people, with, with places, with cultures to really understand this, this oneness that we all are a part of. And so I've been traveling a ton, as you know, over the last year uh, for one of my creative projects. And I was stopping through this town last summer and I just got this very clear message from my spirit that said, make a home base here, land here. It's time to write your book series. And so I received a vision for my book series a couple years ago, but it was like, okay, now's the time to actually start writing it. So I've been loving being grounded here because I do feel, you know, ready to bring a lot of different creative ideas into form and it's helpful to be steady in that case. But I am starting to feel the itch after, <laughs> after the months of quarantine sure. um, and just feeling the isolation, missing that, missing that connection that I feel when I travel. And so I am very eagerly looking forward to that opportunity to, to plan my next trip. I bet. How long have you been in San Sebastian now? Um, in total, about six months, and then since for about three months since my last trip. Okay. And before that, you were moving every how many months? So I was living in San Francisco when I got a vision from my spirit to go visit all of the chakra points on the planet. And so as we learn in yoga that we have an electrical system, a chakra system inside of us, they say that the Earth's body also has a chakra system. And as a journalist, I started to look up more information about this, but there was very little available. And so that just piqued my interest that there's, there's a story here to tell. And so I put all my stuff in storage about a year and a half ago. Um, and my plan was to, to go visit all of these points. Um, and I started out spending a month in each place, but then really realizing that a month is not enough time to really understand the the relationship with the energy center of the place and my own, my own energy centers. Mm -hmm. So I started to stay in places for maybe two months, three months, and just kind of letting the creative force of the project reveal itself step by step. And so it's been, yeah, about a year and a half since I started, started that project. And I'm about halfway through. And so I'll continue on with that once we're allowed to travel again. Amazing. And what are, can you list the names of the places that are coincide with the, sh the chakras? Absolutely. So Mount Shasta, California, Cape Town, South Africa, Uluru, Australia. There's actually one by you, they say, um, in Hawaii. I believe on, I believe it's on Maui, Glastonbury, England, Mount Fuji, Japan, Lake Taupo, New Zealand the pyramids in Egypt. Oh my gosh, cool. Mount Kailash in Tibet. <laughs> we're getting any more. The, the, the ultimate Bali. bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and Bali. Oh, Peru, Titicaca. Oh, cool. Moscow, Russia. And I believe, I believe that's, that's the list that I'm starting to work with, but I'm open. There's a lot of different, there's a few different maps and then sources I've talked to who, who disagree with the maps. So it's becoming like this adventure to go into these places, um, starting off with, with these maps. And so those aren't to say that those are definitely the points, but those are places where people have felt energy that they 
associate with the chakras. And so what I'm looking to do is go and to have my own experience because I always believe that as much as we can trust the information from others, we always want to trust our own experience first and foremost. And so I'm excited to see as I go, I'll be visiting other sacred sites too that are off those maps mm -hmm. to see what reveals itself for me in terms of where the chakras could be. Awesome. I want to dig in a little bit more about your backstory just because I, you've had such a rich life and I think this will set our listeners up to better understand where your creative philosophy stems from. So would you mind sharing with us uh, the trajectory that led you to become uh, an international journalist, how you found yoga and what enabled you to find your true calling as a writing coach? Definitely. So I have loved letters and words ever since I was a child. I remember learning the alphabet in kindergarten and we learned it through this concept called letter people where our teacher would like put on a song and like bring in this blow up letter and the letter would like dance around the room <laughs> and then we'd learn the letter song and that's how we learned each of the letters. And one of my earliest memories is my friend saying that the letter people have their own TV show. And so I was like, oh, I got to watch this TV show. And so I go home and I'm like, mom, we got to find the letter TV show. <laughs> and this was back in the day when like the TV guide channel, you had to actually sit there and watch yes. scroll. Yes. Oh, well, and I remember like the actual printed TV guide. Remember that thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and so I remember like sitting there at night as a five-year-old just my eyes glued to the screen watching all of the programming go by and I watched it cycle through several times and not once did I see the letter people tv show and I started <laughs> to get a little bit dismayed until I saw the late show with David Letterman oh and I was like mom I think I found it and she looks at it and she's like yeah Maura, I don't think that's for kindergartners but Bless my mom. She has been one of the biggest supporters of my purpose, even if she doesn't always understand what I'm doing. Uh -huh. um, she always supports me in going after my dreams and doing whatever she can to empower me to do so. So, of course, she lets me stay up way past my bedtime as a five-year-old. She knows that this show is not going to be the letter people, but I was convinced <laughs> that David Letterman was an alphabet wizard. And oh, that I was going to learn more about letters from him. Yeah. So she let me stay up. And she like knew I was going to be disappointed, but she let me do it anyway, which is something I really value about her. So we stayed up late. We watched it. Of course, it was not it. I'm so pissed off. But that is one of my earliest memories. And so from there, I remember just loving spelling games, any kind of word game. And then I started to write letters to my grandparents. I had grandparents that lived a couple hours away in a different state, grandparents that lived in a different country. And I would just start penning them these like eight page letters. And then when wow. I learned they had different interests in the couple, I'd write them each an eight page letter tailored to their specific interests. Wow. And my grandfather liked sports. My grandpa my grandmother wanted to know more about the weather. And so I just became kind of known as the writer in my family. And then when I got to college I decided to start studying journalism, and I'll never forget being in my first class, Journalism 101, fall semester, freshman year, and the professor taught that the purpose of journalism is to give people the information that they need to be free and self-governing. 
And the moment I heard those words, I still get the chills. I just knew that I was born to be a journalist. I'd always been fascinated by the concept of truth. And now I understood how truth could be useful for people. And so that's how I got, that's how I got into journalism. And then to tie in the yoga piece that you asked about, um, this is where my dad comes in. So when we were kids, this was like back in the 90s on the East Coast is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And he started to get really into wellness. So nutrition, massage, light therapy, magnet therapy, all these wild things that he'd come home and teach us. And one day he came home and started teaching us yoga. And I was about maybe 9, 10, 11 years old, starting to practice. And it just really called to me. And so I would, you know, practice it here and there as I was a kid growing up. Um, but it wasn't until I was about 21 years old, I'd say I went through a period where I just felt for the first time disconnected from myself mm-hmm. and disconnected from my path, which was a really, it was a strange feeling. And yoga was the only thing that made me feel like myself. And so I started practicing every day. I started keeping a sankalpa, an intention journal to really use the practice to shape me into being the person that I wanted to be. And so these lives started to go parallel, you know, in my professional life, journalism, and then in my personal life, really based in yoga and other wellness modalities. And so it got to the point where I was practicing yoga um, almost every day. And then I started, I hired one of my yoga teachers um, to serve as, as, as a life coach for me. And he gave me a meditation practice and I started to practice that every day. And about a couple months into practicing daily meditation, I just started to get, I'd always kind of, you know, gotten these intuitive messages about, you know, the path to take. But I started to get to the point where this voice started to come up just being like, maybe journalism isn't my end game. Maybe there's something else. And I was, it was my, I was working at my dream job, traveling the world, training reporters, sharing my education with them but I couldn't deny this voice. And it got to the point where I just received guidance to, to quit my dream job without any kind of any kind of next step. But I trusted myself and, and I did so. And again, my parents were there just so supportive of, of this, even when I didn't have a plan. Um, and about a month after I quit my dream job, I was sitting in meditation and I heard the voice of my soul for the first time. And it was like, what the fuck? I had no idea that that was even possible. Um, I was always taught as a kid that you needed to go through other people, like a priest, for example, or other kind of spiritual leader to communicate with divine. I didn't really even believe in divine as a very like fact obsessed journalist. I didn't have any kind of spirituality practice. I didn't belong to a religion. And it just said really clearly that my purpose in life was unity. And I'll never forget its voice was really, really still, but also really steady, really soft, but really stable. And from that moment forward, I knew knew my mission in life. And so because I had seen how powerful coaching was, and it was a really like yoga-based coaching system, I decided that I wanted to offer that to other people. And then looking back, I figured out that still as a coach and as a creative coach, I'm still accomplishing that mission of journalism that I fell in love with to give people the information they need to be free and self-governing. But I realized that as a journalist, I was giving people others information from outside of themselves. Whereas a coach, what I now teach people to do is to go inside of themselves Mm -hmm. and get the information inside of them, their truth, their dharma, that connection with their source, their spirit. And that's the information that truly lets us be free and self-governing as the sovereign beings that we are. 
And so that's kind of how everything blended together. And from there, my soul revealed a very clear vision of start a company. It gave me the name, it gave me the tagline, the mission statement, the services. It introduced me to my first client within that same month. And I had no plans of ever becoming an entrepreneur. Like I didn't even know what that word really meant. I didn't really even know what a company was. But when you get that vision that we're all capable of receiving from from within, you just know you've got to move forward with it. And this joy and this confidence comes through and that all the people, places, and things that you need show up to support you. So then that's kind of how the paths converged um, and how you and I ended up connecting. Yeah, you just like you just took off full speed and have never slowed down. Like your services have just, it, it just, it, just it, it looks so effortless and I'm sure it hasn't been, but it's like, like you've been doing this your whole life, you know, it really feels like this is like what you were intended to do. Mm, thank you. That reflection means so much to me because my highest priority in life is to be of service through through living my purpose so to receive that that reflection back from you means everything to me Maura, can you describe for us what your own creative process looks like and is it the same process you guide your clients through or is it different because you believe everyone's creative process looks different ooh love this question brilliant yeah okay so I believe that because we're all humans, that there are some important steps in the process or phases that we go through that I've just developed over the last couple of years through witnessing my own process and then witnessing the process of others whom I've served to see, you know, are there similarities here? Is there a system here? Or is it totally unique? And what I have found is that there is a system. And so from there, I've developed a four-step process, which I call uh, a self-realization system. I think that everyone's capable of self-realization. For me, that term just means that we fulfill our highest potential. I don't think it's this like mystical out there concept. It may have those moments on our journey, but I do think it's a really practical concept where we're all capable of fulfilling our purpose. And so the four steps of that process or the first step is what I call purifying your pain. And so I feel that all of the issues that, that you know, cause conflict on our planet, it's because each of us has pain within. So you know, if people don't have pain inside of themselves, they're not going to contribute pain to the planet. And so these really big picture issues that we're facing as a global society, for me, the answer is if each individual goes in and clears their own pain, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then all of these issues just naturally would, would start to take care of themselves. So that's step one in the process. And for most people, that looks like going all the way back into their childhood where we receive some of our most formative experiences. And for me, that's really where the training for our dharma, our purpose begins. So we go through some intense experiences when we're younger in order to prepare us for our past so that we will be able to fulfill our potential. Um, but we get to the point as adults where it's time to, to clear, clear the pain from the training, as they like to put it, mm -hmm. um, because otherwise it starts to just leak into all areas of our life and it really blocks our creativity mm -hmm. so that's step one in the process and then you know from there all throughout the day with our lifestyle our habits being you know just around other people's energy anything we're taking in we're just constantly like getting this little residue every single day 
from everything that we're taking in. And so that also requires a regular purification process to stay, to stay clear. Sure, yeah. um, and then what I found from there is that, yeah, once we, you can kind of imagine ourselves like a vessel or like a channel. And so once we clear out anything that's blocking our essence, then our spirit can just start to flow through us. I believe that we're these hybrids, half mortal, half divine. And so when we clear the body, we clear the mind, we clear the heart, the spirit knows what to do. It's divine. It just starts to flow through us. And so the second step for the process is what I call harmonizing your halves. So really finding that unity within that we focus on in yoga between our mortal half and our divine half. Um, and my belief is that our spirit really designed our mortal half perfectly to fulfill our purpose. And so when they start to work together, that's when we can tap into this ultimate creativity that gives us exactly what we need in order to offer whatever our unique offering is to the planet. So that leads us into the third step, which is hold on um, before you go to the your yeah, Before yeah. we go to the third step, is is this for the for the second step? Is that what you mean regarding the integration of opposites? Absolutely, yes. And okay. so we kind of say like we live in duality on this planet. We have up, down. We have left, right. We have dark, light. We have masculine, feminine. We have mortal. We have divine. And so, in addition to that pain that I was mentioning that we all have, that then kind of ripples out and creates all these issues on the planet. For me, it's really this, this inner division that we have between all of these halves that is such a source of conflict. Right? We have this conflict within between all of these opposites. So of course we're gonna have conflict as a collective on the planet. And so it's the practice of uniting all of these opposites. And you know, it's such the beautiful thing, I believe about the human experience is that we get to, in the same moment, hold space within us for radically opposite concepts and see that they actually can coexist at the same time and they influence each other, they flow into each other, they balance each other out, they hold space for the other one. So beautiful question. And yes, that's, that's the step where I mentioned that. I feel like you probably learned a little bit of that being a journalist too, because you have to be objective, so you have to see both sides of each story. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's such a wonderful observation because this is where I really feel like my journalism training trained me to do this work and also to, to be a coach because that ability to, to stay objective mm -hmm. in not only the, the writing process, but also in the, in the creative coaching process is really the key because you know, whenever we start to move out of objectivity, we start to move into judgment. We make things good or bad, right or wrong, greater than or less than. And this is where we really start to get ourselves into trouble and we block ourselves from, from seeing the truth of the perfection of, of, of the wholeness. Right. Um, and so you're so right that that objectivity is so critical to not see either side as greater than or less than. And that's what we're, we're used to doing on the planet. And that's what I feel like leads to a lot of the conflict that we have is that we make something wrong. We make something right rather than seeing that actually we're all these unique, perfect, diverse expressions of divine because we all have unique dharmas. And our dharma for me is what connects us to the wholeness because it's like our unique contribution 
to the, it's like our little puzzle piece in the big puzzle. Right. So rather than making other people's pieces wrong, if we just all put our puzzle pieces down and honored everyone else's, we'd have like a beautiful fucking picture to look at. Yeah, it's well said. Okay, step three. <laughs> step three <laughs> flows perfectly. Um, it's all, of course it does. It's all about living your purpose or what I like to call your elixir. An elixir in alchemy is something is that it's capable of, of, giving, of giving life, of, of elevating things to gold, which is, is really the symbol for self-realization in, in alchemy. And so when I talk about embodying your elixir or expressing your purpose, it's all about discovering what your dharma is and then living it not just in your work and in your creativity, but in every aspect of your life. And so when you make that connection in step two between your mortal and your divine half, as I had shared in, in a previous story, your divine half just reveals to your mortal half what your purpose is. It's not like this, this, there's no guesswork in it. Like there's clues you can put together, like a little detective when you look at your whole life to see what you built yourself for. But your soul just really tells you. So that's why we go through the step two. And then in step three, it's really about how can I create my life you know because creativity for me in this action of creation is not just something we apply to you know writing a book or you know creating a song or a painting we are creative beings we're creating our entire experience in every single moment and so it's about looking at our entire life and say you know where do I want to live you know who do I want my partner to be what do I want my work to be you know where do I want to travel what do I want to read what music do I want to listen to like Every single decision we make from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we're creating our lives. Mm -hmm. And what I teach is to, if we can make every decision to be an expression of our purpose, this is where we're really tapping into our creativity and then using it in, in the ultimate way so that our whole life becomes like our masterpiece and our offering to, to the wholeness. Yeah. And it stays cohesive too. It's, it's like there's a continuity to it. Like before I started food writing, you asked, like, what do you want? Like, what is your intention with your writing? And always from day one, I said to entice and inspire. And so every time we write any kind of article, anything, when we're working on the book, it's like, well, does this article or does this piece or this page or whatever do that? And so you're constantly always bringing, helping me remember to come back to this intention that I have that's really deeply related to my purpose. Mm, I'm so happy to hear that. And I celebrate how open you've always been, been to that process because I do find that, you know, when we can tune into our intention, into our mission, into our purpose, it, it does inform everything. And so uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about how, you know, our, our spirit is like the source of our creativity, in addition to that, because our, our soul, I believe, incarnated to live its purpose, whenever we're doing anything that's going to be serving our purpose, whether it is writing an article or, you know, a book or designing our website, for example, whenever we're looking to call in creativity and service of our purpose, I find the insights come in lightning clear, just super colorful, unique original, bold, innovative. And so when we, when we make our purpose our guide, it's not only going to be a more fulfilling experience for us because it, it taps 
into our deepest truth, but the process actually becomes becomes easier. And so, you know, I hear a lot of really well-known writers, really successful writers out there, you know, talking about writer's block and talking about this concept that I didn't even know existed, but I'm hearing it a lot lately as if it's like a thing and people are calling it the shitty first drafts. Shitty first drafts is from uh, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, okay. I was go ahead. I love this before. <laughs> okay. And I heard that and I was like, well, when it comes to writer's block, I think it's a myth. I don't actually believe that writer's block exists. I just think that we haven't made ourselves a clear enough channel by step one, purifying our pain. So the block isn't, it's not about, it's nothing to do with the writing. Mm. It has to do with our pain is blocking us. So the creativity is not flowing, but it's not the writing's fault. It's not the creativity's fault. Creativity wants to come through us at all times. The writing is always available, but we have a block. Um, And so whether it's something from the past or something that you know, we didn't sleep well last night or, you know, what have we put in our body the last 48 hours or we had an argument that we had. We have some kind of block that's blocking the flow. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you just remove the block, the creativity starts flowing again. And so rather than, you know, starting to frame writing as like, you know, I hear people talking about it like, it's really hard, but I just force myself to sit down and I do it anyway. And I just like, I listen to these, these interviews from really popular writers and I'm like, dude, it doesn't need to be that painful and like I want them to feel the joy of having it be this beautiful graceful exciting joyful experience because we're we're all capable of that and so it's it's just such a shame to me because then they block themselves from enjoying the experience the quality is obviously not going to be as high but then it's not just limited to reducing their experience everything they're putting into that then gets transmitted to the public not just shitty work that's not their best, which doesn't do anybody any kind of service, but the energy of force and frustration and, you know, aggression and whatever goes in there when someone's feeling writer's block, but's pushing through it, that energy gets transmitted to the public too. And so we're actually not being of service then when we're putting out, we're putting out those bad vibes. Um, And so then when it comes to, you know, this concept of the shitty first draft, it doesn't need to be shitty. You know, if you just unblock yourself, the creativity comes through and the first draft is not shitty. Of course, you're going to develop it. You're going to edit it. You're going to go through your process with it. But what comes through in the first draft can be of, of tremendously high quality. I find that there's two things happening when, when people are not receiving what they want in their first draft. One they're not actually ready to write that piece of material. You know, I sometimes get visions for creative projects years before it's time for me to sit my butt down and translate that into words because I'm out there actually living the experience first so that I can write about it from an embodied place. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be a, you'll, we get a very clear signal when it's time to actually sit down and write about that topic. And when it's time, it just flows out. And it's a super joyful, easeful process. And then we can even go further from that. If we truly start to develop this harmony, like we talked about in step two, between our mortal half and our divine half, our divine half is divine and it's capable of producing first drafts in final form. And I'll never forget when this started to happen to me. Some people call it like channeling, for example, when like 
you just feel an urge in your body to start to start writing. For me, what will happen to like my hand will start shaking in the form of a pen. And so I know it's time to pick up a pen. It'll usually happen when I'm after meditation. And then I just will pour out the words that come through. And those words are in final form. And you know me, we are very particular and extensive <laughs> with the editing process. You know how many rounds we go through and how particular I am. So for me to say these drafts need no editing, like, you know, it's coming from, you know, it's coming from this higher source. And so on both halves, you know, when we dive into the divine half to make that connection, it flows through in either final form or very near final form. And then in our mortal half, when we actually go out and live the experiences that then we're going to write about, and we've actually like really mastered the concepts, then the words flow out of us too, because we're ready to do it. I like the idea of you can write a first draft and it's not shitty. I think what I like about the idea of a shitty first draft is that it gives you permission. It's okay if it's not your best work. And what happens a lot for perfectionists, like I have a tendency to be, is that perfectionism causes inaction. So this reframes it so that you just start getting something on the paper. And, and once you start going, it usually starts flowing and it, and it doesn't end up being that shitty of a draft. It's just the fact that you're giving yourself permission. Like it doesn't have to be your best work. Just start. I like that. I, that has actually helped me a lot, that idea. And so I think like, however you're getting to it, whether you are, and I think your way of unblocking first is probably way more ideal, but however you're getting to the point of putting the words down, I think the important part is that you're putting the words down. I would say yes and I would say no. I am definitely a big fan of what you're saying and believe it wholeheartedly in terms of approaching our creative process without judgment, giving ourselves that space to be messy, to just play with what's there without any kind of judgment of ourselves. I totally, I totally believe in, in that process. I think if we're just doing it for ourselves, then that totally works. If we're then planning on publishing that or sharing that, here's where I think we have a, a greater responsibility to the collective and you know, our, our own ethics to make sure that whatever we're putting out there is going to be of the highest quality and also is going to come from, come from a clean and a clear energy because that, that's all going in the drafts. It's not just the words, but the energy and the space between the words that people are, are getting that, that full experience. Mm -hmm. um, but I love that you're bringing up perfectionism because that's something that I used to really struggle with and I had a really massive shift around it over the last couple of years that has been so, so useful. And so, you know, what I find is that I think perfectionism, and there might be a different word for it that we need to create to kind of distinguish between the two, but I think that being able to recognize when something is perfect and kind of ready to go out there into the world, whatever, in whatever creative form that it is, I think that's a talent. I think that's a gift. And I think that we've kind of started to demonize that concept to the point where I look around and we don't really have any standards for quality anymore. Um, mm -hmm. There's just like errors everywhere. And like, you know, leaders like can't spell. And it's just like, it's become, although I love so much that we have so many platforms that give us access to self-expression, because I think that's so important. I just feel like the quality has just gone down 
has gone down so much. And so I think by demonizing perfectionism, we actually don't highlight when someone, you know, like it sounds, when I hear that from you, I'm like, no, you have a gift that you can make something of high quality. And so the switch that I found, it's really like the energy we're coming at it from. And so going back to that, that step one in the system, I found that before I healed my inner pain, I was using my gift of quality to control. I was using it to ignore my pain. And I, if I could just focus all my attention and making something perfect, I didn't have mm, to look yeah. at the deep pain that I was right. in inside. And so that's when the perfectionism is just this like almost nails against the skin feeling and nothing's ever right. And it takes hours to do things. And you and feel you blocked. Up over it. <laughs> exactly. And you yeah. feel blocked. You feel blocked. And it's just, it's awful. And so once though, we actually clear that pain within, and that's been probably my biggest creative project the last couple of years and spent, you know, you know, a lot of alone time, especially traveling, just really completing that healing process for myself. And once I reached the completion of it, holy shit, the whole energy around this, this talent for quality change. So now I still make sure it's perfect, but it happens much faster. I feel much more spacious, luxurious. It's really pleasurable. It's joyful. It's easeful. And it still might take time, but the time flies by and it's fun. And I want to spend my time doing that. It doesn't feel like that nails against the skin feeling anymore. And the first drafts are, they really do flow and they were able to get to that quality from a much more peaceful state and then, and then share that quality with the world. And so I really think that maybe we need a different word for it, that perfectionism is a talent as long as we've cleared our past pain. So we're not using it as a weapon. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think also it has a lot to do with what you're writing too. Like, is this something that you really have your heart into or is this something that you have to do? And so because of that, you're, you're just, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to do, but you also enjoy doing it. And so it's a little bit easier for you, but if it's something that you have to do and you're just really not feeling it, it's really hard to to push past that. And that's why I think that's where like the shitty first draft comes from is it's like people who are just like forced to write this thing that they're like sort of half-heartedly writing and they've got to push through. And you've always told me, like, if you don't feel like 100% in your heart, like this is something I want to write, it's not going to be a good piece. It's just not going to come out. And like you're saying with the energy, people, people will feel that. People will feel that you weren't really into it. And I think that's totally true. Like, I can, I can see different articles I've written, which I, I think, honestly, all the articles I've written, I, I was really into but I can see how some are different than others. And the fact that like some, I'm just like, I was so in love with that restaurant or I was so in love with that chef or whatever and had such an inspiring experience, which I feel like I say that about like every chef I work with, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like every article I write, but, but they're really, you really can see in certain ones, the difference where I was really, really connected to that that piece. And so I think that that has a lot to do with the strain that it can cause on getting an assignment finished is, is, was this assignment really for you in the first place? Oh, I love that question so much. And it's something I really want to celebrate you for 
because I admire that you do select and attract to you assignments that you are passionate about. It's something that you do so well is that you do focus on what moves you, what is connected to your purpose. And then it's so true. The, the people and the places or the experience where you really feel lit up, I can always feel it in your writing. And what it does is it like electrifies me. And all of a sudden I'm like, I want to go to that restaurant. I want to try that food. <laughs> even if like I'm miles away from Hawaii, even if I don't even eat that type of food, I'm like, you just light me up and I want to go experience it. And then your writing flows. You just, you have the most beautiful um, descriptive writing. Like when you really hit those words, like the image is just lightning clear. And so I'm really excited that you feel that in your own process. And so it's so wise. What you're saying is that if someone's not really feeling creating anything, no matter what it is, it's not even just creative projects, but anything in our life, if we don't feel like doing it, yeah, it's probably not meant for us or we haven't found the connection to our purpose that actually makes it the perfect thing for us to be doing in that moment. But then from there, another layer that I have found that's a little bit subtler is even if it is tied to our purpose, it might not be the time to be creating it. So I already mm -hmm. mentioned like if we haven't embodied the concepts or like, you know, when you and I have talked in the past, like, do you feel like you've gone to the place enough to really get the feel for it? Have you had, you know, the conversations that you need to have to really feel like the story is revealing itself to you? Because if not, you could be the best damn writer in the world, but you're not going to be able to write the piece if you haven't had the experiences yet that, that move you. So it might not just be, it might not be the time, but, you know, also there's other factors too, in terms of like, you know, I'll only speak from the, you know, the female perspective of this because I'm in female form is like our menstrual cycle, for example. Each week of the month, we have a very different energy. Week one, we are creative as fuck. We are so creative. And that's really when the time is to sit down and do something super creative. Week two, we're super communicative. Also fantastic for any kind of self-expression process. When we start to hit week three, we're not very creative anymore. We're not very communicative we're in this more like admin organization phase. So it's a great time to do fact checking. It's a great time to really be like laser like and looking at every single word you chose, for example, if you are writing something um, to just, you know, check the organization, making sure that, you know, everything is cohesive. And then, you know, the final week of the month is when we're most attuned to reflection. And so we look back at the whole creative work and say like, okay, how am I feeling around this? What are the little tweaks that I wanna make? But the problem that we run into is that maybe we try to sit down and do something creative in week three or four. It's just not gonna flow. And so then we start to beat ourselves up. We make ourselves wrong. We judge ourselves, you know, I'm bad this or that. When it's really like just not the time of the month to do that part of the project. So timing, I find, also plays a role, a role too, in the process in a, in a subtler way. So what do you do if you have an assignment due that's in week four, you know, and, and you just started it in week three? I mean, yeah. are you just, I mean, because that happens, you know, it's, it's life. Like the, people aren't going to wait around for your mental, mental cycle to end to give you a new assignment, <laughs> well. you know? I mean, that'd be great, but... <laughs> it's a fantastic question. And... I'll give two responses to that for now. One is a lot of our deadlines are arbitrary. You know, a lot of what we're putting out in the world isn't life or death. 
and we make it life or death. And that's one of the reasons why I felt relieved to get out of the journalism world as much as I loved it, because I was destroying my health and my happiness by having my whole life revolve around these deadlines that weren't really chosen for a specific reason. It's just because like, you know, an outlet needs content, for example, but like, if it's not life or death, which very few things are in life, it actually doesn't need to go according to this like crazy schedule that we've created. And so it does take a little bit of stepping outside of the box, a little bit of stepping outside of the system, um, which is helpful if you start to, you know, you know, work for yourself is helpful. But even if you're working, for example, you know, freelancing for a publication, I think there's still our conversations that can be had of like, is this kind of older way of working, is it working for us? And hopefully, you know, make those connections with, you know, more innovative publishers or editors who are like, wow, this is really cool. We want you to do your best. So what other system can we design? Because a lot of the systems that we're using right now were developed a long time ago when there were other circumstances. But we, I think, never before, I don't know about like ever, but from the time at least I know I've been alive, I feel like we had this tremendous freedom to create our lives and our, our work schedules in any way that we want. It's something that I hope comes out of this pandemic is that we get extra creative with it. So I would say there is some just being willing to ask the question of like, hey, can I tweak this schedule around a little bit? And just it doesn't hurt to ask the question. And the second piece is you'll be surprised because we are these creative beings, because we are divine, because our external does reflect our internal world, when we make the decision as sovereign beings, how we want our life to go, how we want our schedule to go, it almost feels like magic, but everything just starts to respond to you to support that. So for example, anytime in my life where I'm trying to make, you know, a shift in my work schedule so that it does align with my menstrual cycle or for my creative project that does align with my menstrual cycle, for example, or my sleep schedule or any other schedule I've got going on, people will shift around me. People will actually ask to schedule something on the perfect day for me and my cycle. And it it's always blows me away when it happens, but it really makes a lot of, a lot of sense because we're all part of this wholeness. And so what's best for you is going to be what's best for all. And when you really claim that ownership, that sovereignty of, of what's best for your schedule, you'll see things just move around. Your deadline gets moved. Something gets canceled. Someone gets sick. This or that happens. Like things just sort themselves out. Yeah. And it takes, you know, a couple of weeks, months, maybe even a couple of years. But all of a sudden you start to look around and you'll be like, holy shit, everyone seems to be living according to my menstrual cycle. How did this happen? Well, this, I mean, sort of happened to me and it had nothing to do with my menstrual cycle, but I mean, my book deadline was coming fast and hard and I was like, man, I am not like, I'm not ready, you know? And, um, and then this pandemic happened (laughs) and it gave me (laughs) a 10 day extension on my deadline. (laughs) And like, I mean, that's like, could be total coincidence, but still. No, it's not. It's a perfect (laughs) example. And I know for me, there were things that I was working on that I really have needed this, this pause to get complete. And a lot of people I talked to were like, I feel like I've kind of manifested the pandemic. And it's like, fuck, of course <laughs> I've heard we did. So many we people all collectively it. manifested this. Like, 
what are everybody we needed for? a pause yeah exactly a pause mm-hmm. more downtime more like time with family more time for you know restorative practices a little bit of space from work like just stillness I just feel like we have collectively manifested it or it wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a perfect example okay before we get on to my next question uh, step four I love how thorough you are. So step four, <laughs> just lights me up. <laughs> I'm like, stay on track, Mara. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Spoken like a true editor. This goes complete. <laughs> so step four happens on its own. And for me, it's the elevation of our consciousness, the evolution of ourselves personally and collectively. And and I am of the belief that that is why we're here, to grow personally and collectively. And when we're doing step three, which is contributing our unique piece to the puzzle by living our purpose, we automatically elevate the consciousness of all people, places, and things, because they they want that piece put into the puzzle. And so once we all do that, this is where we really start to to raise our awareness, to raise our consciousness on on the planet. Because I do believe that we're alive in some really interesting times where if you look around us, and you can even just look at the protests, for example, for me, I'm getting the sense that this is going to be the first of many upheavals on the planet around all of these topics where we're, we're still living from division rather than from unity. And so people are really waking up to of like, wait, this is kind of fucked up that we do this or like, wait, we should change this. And so it's like, if you just kind of look over the last couple of years, you can really see an acceleration of just the topics people are open to just that we can have this conversation. I can mention spirit. Like this would have been so weird even just a couple of years ago. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, so for me, we're in this time where we're elevating to what I call unity consciousness. And so for me, that's always the goal of yoga is this state of oneness with all people, all places, all things, with ourselves, our communities, our planet, the universe, just this oneness with all. And that that's what we're really, really heading towards. So that's step four in the process of once we live our purpose, we're automatically elevating our individual consciousness by having the experience of living our purpose, which is what our soul wanted, and why I believe it chose it, but then the whole collective gets raised. And so, you know, when people say like, I can't live my purpose for a living, or this, 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 no, the wholeness wants us to live our purpose. It's the best contribution that we can give. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, alchemy is really about raising things to its highest form, sometimes symbolized as raising, you know, base metals to gold. And so that gold is when we do reach our highest potential as individuals and and as a collective. So when we're offering that purpose, that elixir to the wholeness, we we create that evolution and, and that's and that's step four. It's a very holistic system. <laughs> took, a, took a couple of years to figure it out. But it's, it's feeling it's feeling good. And this is what's so cool is that I've always been attracted to the concept of alchemy. Um, just as a word, I think it sounds super sleek, super sexy. So the writer, I just really love how it sounds, but I was, you know, I was sitting with what to call, to call my new brand and the alchemist is one of my favorite books. Oh yeah. And here's where I think that, yeah, you love it. Yeah. So good. Where our creativity then can serve to spark others' creativity. 
And so I was needing to do some traveling because I was had a gap for my visa here in Spain. And I was like, I don't really know where to go. I don't really feel like going anywhere. And I just got this very clear message from from my spirit to reread the book, The Alchemist. And in it, the boy is following his purpose and he goes from Spain to Morocco to Egypt. Um, And I was living in Spain at the time. And so I was like, oh wow, I'm already in the starting point. And I was already kind of getting some other messages around the countries of Morocco and Egypt. And I was like, perfect. So I actually followed the route of that book during the winter. And then when I came back, I was just really interested in this concept of alchemy. So I started to read a little bit about it. And this is where I was just blown away because the steps in the process, obviously it's way more technical than what I teach, but the basic steps of the process actually mirrored the basic steps of my coaching system. Hmm. And so I was like, it just felt like this perfect thing. And the goal was the same to evolve to our highest state. And unity is really how alchemy works. It's based on the tenet that all is one. And it's that oneness that leads to that evolution. It's that oneness that we, we receive at the end of that process. And so for me, it was just, uh, yeah, the system um, just kind of, it just came through based on, I think, you know, the work that many beings and generations and civilizations have done before us. I think we're here just to kind of bring it to the next, bring it that next step forward. Yeah. Amazing. One of the things that I've always loved about your coaching sessions is the five minute centering practice you do at the beginning. Can you explain to our listeners what that looks like and why you do it? Certainly. And thank you for always being open to it, even from the very, from the very beginning when we were first meeting. Well, I was a yogi um, from the very beginning when we first met. So I was like, oh, this is definitely in my wheelhouse. Like, yeah. Oh, good. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. Because I remember that being one of my biggest questions, like transitioning, um, is being into into what I was teaching. People are going to be open to this. They're going to think it's weird. So I loved how open you were to it. Um, So for me, that's kind of like a mini version of walking people through that four-step system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the first step in that is we really work with, we kind of briefly go through the body. You know, we touch into the mind, the heart, and it, it can be super subtle. It can be really simple just to kind of hold space for anything that has been a little bit unsettled, that would be like the pain in the step one, to just kind of settle for a moment or even to clear potentially if someone's ready to to release something. Because when we come to that stillness, not just externally by stilling the physical body, but internally, we invite the energy to be still, we invite the mind to be still, we invite the heart to be still and to settle. That's when we create as I was mentioning, that clear vessel that now spirit can start to flow through. And we can start to move into that step, that step two of the mortal half and the divine half, um, remembering their perfect union. And then from there, the spirit just kind of can whisper to you of like little reminders around your purpose. And it might be like a word emerges or an image or just a feeling. We all get these these hits differently. And then that really aims to anchor us, anchor us into our purpose. And then anytime we touch base with our purpose, because it is that elixir, it automatically elevates our consciousness. So then when we come into the session, we're coming in really connected to our essence and in our, you know, most focused, highest state possible for that moment. It's just a couple of minutes, but it's truly transformational. I've experimented with not starting a session with a practice and starting a session with a practice. And it's like night and day difference. I find that when we don't start with a practice, what happens is the session's kind of like 
all over the place. You know, the person maybe never really fully gets to like a really meaningful moment for them where they really get the insights that they need. And it maybe goes way over time or like, or like the call drops or like the connections not clear, like all these random things happen that I don't feel like make, make it a really successful session. Yeah. And then I find when I started with that practice, everything flows, everything is smooth. Everything comes out. The person comes up with these, just like, I can only call it divine, these divine insights. Everything is clear. We see how the pieces fit together flows. We get a ton of done productive productivity wise. And then we always can still, you know, wrap up on time too. And so that's why we start with that practice. And, and to go back to one of your, your earlier questions, I don't think I touched base on it is this is where a little, that's where the customization comes in. So like that system is effective. I find because we all share our humanity, but we do all have unique purposes and we do all have unique personalities through which we express that purpose. And so this is where I love working one-on-one because I can really tailor the specifics of the practice to the individual, tying in Ayurveda, numerology, astrology, just the vibe that I get from what's going on in their life. Everything will be subtly customized and personalized so that that person gets what they need. Because it could be like the dramatically different type of practice or pranayama breathing technique or visualization what could be perfect for someone's going to be the absolute wrong thing for someone else mm-hmm. um, and so this is where a little bit of that customization comes in so that the person receives what they specifically need and in that specific moment what they need yeah yeah so your system makes room for that for all those different variations <laughs> absolutely it's yeah. like people don't even realize they're going through a system Right. Um, no, yeah, I never knew the system like that. <laughs> we, like, this is the first yeah. time I'm hearing of this. And we've worked together for years. I'm like, what? Four step system. Well, like, part of it is because I was. Great. <laughs> I love that. Part of it was because I was, the system was revealing itself. So thank you for playing, playing with that. But also, <laughs> playing it, along. It, it, playing along. It also is meant to be really subtle Mm -hmm. so that everyone can feel like they're in their perfect unique experience and the system's just kind of operating in the background yeah and not being like forced to a structure totally because it's it's we can't force the timing you know people are only ready for each piece when they're ready and for me each each step in that system took a couple years and so there's no there's no rushing we want this to be a sustainable practice. I think that, you know, to talk about creativity is this divine force, but we're not just divine. We're also mortal. So to actually bring it into physical, tangible form and put it out there into the world as an offering does require this like slow, steady, sustainable, safe process so that we actually can make use of this really, of this really powerful energy. The whole thing about the centering practice too is that it calms you. And so you're not rushing into this meeting, like you said, kind of all over the place. And it, you know, it allows you to be able to listen better and like really hear what you're saying and allows you to think and take time instead of just trying to, because I think a lot of it in these sessions, a lot of, uh, and we'll get to this in a, a few minutes, but there's a lot of 
fear and self-doubt and all these things that come along with creativity and creative process and creative projects that you're working on. So when you can calm yourself down, a lot of that starts to go away and you're able to like focus on what you actually need to focus on. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the times our agenda for our meetings would change dramatically. Like what I thought we were going to talk about ended up not being what we ended up talking about. And sometimes we just go off on this other path that like we needed to go on and it still brought me to the same place eventually. So in order to, to be open to that, I think that you need to be calm uh, entering into that space. Oh, I love that so much. I'm so happy to hear about your experience with it. So thank you for sharing all of those points because everything that you're saying is, is exactly why we do this centering process. And I'm delighted to hear that, that that's the experience that you've been having. And what I'm really hearing you say is that we're accessing present moment. You know, mm -hmm. when we take that moment to get still and to center ourselves, we step into present moment. Most of us are living the majority of our day, aka our lives from the past or we're in the future. We're very rarely actually in present moment. But present moment is where creativity happens. It's where the creation is. And so when we can bring ourselves into that present moment, not just individually, but together in that partnership that we're in in that session, then we can really say, okay, like we can create the best agenda ever that makes the most sense from the mind. But when we come into present moment, we allow that space for our souls to guide us of like, like you're saying, this is where we actually need to go to get to where you want to be. Yeah. Let's talk about the subconscious. Benjamin Hardy, who is a psychologist and an author, and he's one of my favorite writers. He's like one of the most, I think he's like the most read writer on medium.com. But he wrote this article that I love about creativity and how your subconscious controls everything you do, don't do, and how you do it. And in the article, the tips he gives for tapping into your subconscious so that you can have more control over your uh, creative projects or your destiny in general is to journal first thing in the morning and then again, right before you go to bed and plant seeds into your subconscious about the goals you want to achieve. So you're, you're, you're constantly kind of rewiring your subconscious so that you almost like you're doing this, so you kind of have like more control over it. Um, and, and this to me speaks to like manifesting those types of ideas. And I do this regularly and I definitely notice that in the morning when I write, I start coming up with the answers to the questions I just asked myself the night before. And it enables me to create the action steps that are needed in order to reach certain goals and enables me to get clear on what the goals actually are. Uh, it's, it's improved my writing. You have shared with me that what you believe to be even more important than for creativity than planting the seeds to your subconscious is clearing the obstacles in your subconscious. And th that those, that that's what's blocking your creativity. And I mean, we just touched on that for number one in your system, purifying your pain. But do you also agree with the fact that you can sort of control how things are going to unfold by doing the, these practices for me, I like to do them in the morning and, and night 
maybe some people do in other, other times of the day, but do you think that this is also a really useful tool for creativity? Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing about that article. It's super, super fascinating. So I believe that they're equally important. It both is the clearing out of the old programming, the old patterns, the old beliefs, the old experiences that are blocking our creativity, and then to plant those new seeds, those new beliefs in to rewire ourselves for for the new habits that we want to have, the new beliefs that we have, the new goals that we want to pursue. And so for me, both are both are essential in that process. And so it's like we we clear them out and then we also plant plant those new seeds. And you know, for me that happens in like the it's like the third step of my system when you're looking at embodying your your dharma, your purpose, to look at your whole life and say, okay, what do I want to design here? And there's all types of techniques and tools that we use to actually manifest that to make that to make that your life and so you know for me writing is one of the most creative acts and so anything we write down i find generally comes true i have manifested via writing jobs apartments i think every single one of my partners and so you know goals all of these things that i want to create writing i find to be one of the one of the most powerful tactics and for me, there really is a sacred time, you know, in the morning and in the evening to do these types of practices because we're, we're starting to kind of tap into, to tap into source or the spirit world. So for me, it's like we're in our mortal half in the daytime and at night when we're sleeping, we're in our divine half. And so right before bed or right when we wake up, it's going to be when we're closest, when our mortal half is closest to that divine half and we're closest to that, to that unity. And so anything we do at those times is going to take on that take on that extra, that extra power. Yeah. I think another practice that's really good for this is also yoga nidra. And yeah. yeah and we talk a, about this practice a lot on this show, but can you tell me your thoughts on why you suggest this practice for your clients and how you believe it helps them in their creative process? Totally. So I love Nidra because it's extremely effective in that it's accomplishing multiple goals in the same time. And for any of us like you and like me, who we have so many goals, so many dreams, <laughs> we want to use practices that are going to get a lot done in a little bit of time. And so, you know, just one benefit of Nidra, as I'm sure you talked about in the show, is this deep restoration. And so if we're going to be at our peak when it comes to creativity and we're, we're going to be these channels for, for divine, we're going to want to be able to be um, at our, our you know, kind of peak performance when we're doing that. And that's a, that's a really intense process to be channeling divine energy through us to produce things at, you know, with excellent quality. And so we want something that's going to be as deeply and intensely, intensively restore, restorative to be able to balance that out. So that's one reason why I suggest Nidra is because everyone who I co-create with, we share these standards for excellence. So then at the other half of the spectrum, we want to make sure that we're doing these deeply restorative practices to make sure that we're replenishing ourselves so that we can show up for the next our next creative cycle. Mm -hmm. um, the other reason is because it accomplishes those two steps of the clearing, the purifying of the pain, the clearing of the subconscious, 
and the planting of the new seeds. Mm -hmm. And so it does both at the same time. And so for me, it's tremendously effective and efficient in that way that we can be both clearing out the subconscious and planting the new seeds. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Great. It's a great tool for that. I want to talk about a few books that have really helped me. And I'm just curious to know if you've read them, if they've helped you. Just talk a little bit about each one. The first one is a book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. Have you read this book? I have not. So I might not be the most fun to play with in this conversation (laughs) because the last, I'm an avid reader. Right now I'm reading like a book a week. But for the last five years, because I was really focused on putting myself through my own system, it required total quiet. Mm. So I stopped reading the news. I got off social media. I spent a lot of time alone. I stopped listening to music as much. I stopped reading as much. Um, I just stopped the input Mm -hmm. so I could just really go deeply inward to clear the pain that was there, hear the voice of my soul, hear my dharma and start to move forward. So because of that, I'm like just starting to get caught up. I'm like, what are the badass books to be reading? Yeah. Well, Um, I I feel like this book is like perfect for exactly that. (laughs) Although it is. Perfect. I'll put it on my list. (laughs) I mean, it is, it is input because it's, it's leading you through a program, but it's a, it's a self-led program and it offers practices and just a series of questions that, you know, she poses like throughout the book that enables you to heal internal trauma, like purify your pain, as you say, and overcome limiting beliefs so that you can open up your creative channels. And so I think it's exactly what you've done. It's just that you, instead of following somebody else's system, you, you just created your own in doing it yourself because you had a lot of, you knew how to do this kind of work already with all your yoga training and everything. But I think it's brilliant how this book works. I think it's a great tool. I, I recommend it to a lot of people who are having creative blocks. And, um, you know, coming back to journaling, she came up with the idea of, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but morning pages. Where, Ooh, what's that? Yeah, so it's, it's very simple. It's just writing three full pages, stream of consciousness every morning when you first wake up. And so, and she even says like, like, I don't care what it is, like, right, like, I need coffee, or <laughs> I need to pick up my clothes, <laughs> dry cleaners, whatever, just keep writing, because by the time you get to the third page, you start to, like, start having your insights, and, and then you're, like, you're off and running through your day, right, and then you kind of, like, have, like, this direction, and I, I found that that's happened, that's worked for me lots of times, and this also helps clear obstacles in your subconscious, helps with your writing because you know oftentimes you know I, I start writing and then I'm like oh that can be used for something but okay so you've never done this book and if you've never done it you probably never recommended it to any of your clients either <laughs> because you never read it yourself <laughs> no yeah but I'm gonna put it on my list I'm really excited to read it so thank you for the recommendation of course that you trust yeah your- your perspective so much. And I'm excited. I'm always on the hunt for new techniques. So I'm going to try out that technique too and read the book. Um, yeah, it's put back on my finding. It's an old book. I mean, it's, it's a really old book. I was really thrilled to hear that people like Tim Ferriss and Elizabeth Gilbert have you like use it regularly. It was something that I learned about 
when I was doing the IIN program, I was studying holistic health. And um, it was just like one of those gems that, and she's really funny and her insights and like the way she teaches, it's very, very similar to yours. That's why I was wondering if you had read it because she's all about tapping into your source and letting and clearing those, those pathways so that it can flow through you and into your work. Like that's exactly what she talks about, like starting from the very beginning of her book. Exciting. Well, I cannot wait to read it. So I've heard the title before, but I never really knew what it was about. And so I'm very excited to read it. So thank you for the rec. Yeah. So, okay. So let's see, there's two other books. One you've already mentioned, Bird by Bird, which I think this book is a freaking masterpiece. <laughs> like, I read this book and I was just like blown away the first time. It, I was so inspired to write after I read it. And the title is based off of some advice the author's dad gave to her brother when they were kids. Aww. He was super stressed one day because he had an assignment on birds due the, the next day and he hadn't started yet. And it was like, he, he was supposed to have researched like this large number of bird, different types of birds and like report on them. And he hadn't even started. And he was just like sitting at the kitchen table with like all these books. And he was just like totally overwhelmed. And her dad sat down at the kitchen table next to him and said, relax, we're going to get through this bird by bird. And Aww, totally, so and it is very sweet. And it's right off the bat for me, it's telling, it's very telling of how stressful creativity can be sometimes. And, you know, again, like the shitty first drafts, this comes from this book. And I know you have a different way of, of looking at it, but I think anyone who is listening to this and who has tried to complete a creative project can relate to the feeling of what her brother was feeling, anxiety, fear, self-doubt, you know, all the hard emotions. And I mean, our coaching sessions, I feel like half of our coaching sessions have just been addressing my mental state and you supporting me through all of the tough emotions that I was feeling at the time. And, you know, it was like uh, many times a, a feeling of like a therapy session. So my question for you about this is, do you think that as creative types, we are more prone to struggle internally? Or do you think that it is the process of creating that brings these hard emotions up? Ooh, badass question, Sarah. I don't think, I think that one of my favorite distinctions that I learned about is the difference between common and normal. And I think that stress is so common, not just in the creative process or being a creator, but just in everyone's lives in general on the planet. Um, stress has become common, but I don't think it's normal. I actually think it's, it's the opposite of what our essence is, what our natural state is. And so I think that it's the way that we have, you know, set up our beliefs. It's the way that we've set up our processes. It's the way that we've set up our systems and our lives that creates this stress. But I don't feel that it needs to be that way. When I am open to and surrendering to creativity rather than 
trying to force it to fit into how I want it to show up and when I want it to show up, it's not stressful. And if we do have anything around, you know, we feel like we're procrastinating or we feel like we don't have clarity or we have self-doubt or fear of rejection or criticism, all of those pieces while valid parts of our journey or we wouldn't be going through them, there's something that we're looking to experience through them. They're not our essence. And so this is where we, we come back to that first step of when we really do clear the pain out of ourselves individually and collectively, these different systems and processes and, and just these like really heavy collective concepts that we have around creativity you know, around writing, it's, we have such collective pain that is what for me is, is that block in the creative process. And so I don't feel like it needs to be stressful. I thought that for a very long time, you know, when I mentioned that first coach that I hired, it was because I had crazy stress and anxiety through the roof that I, I couldn't sleep. It was physically just all times I felt it. So, you know, I, I'm so passionate about sharing that there is another way to be. There's another way to create because I've done, I've done both sides. You know, I used to create and write from a fuck ton of stress. And now I create from a lot of space and ease and joy. And so when I look at the two, there's no greater than or less than we go through all the experiences that are perfect for us, but I much prefer the latter. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel really passionate about sharing these messages that, stress is a story we tell ourselves and it's very real in the moment you know that anxiety I felt was very real I'd feel it physically at all times but we're creating it so when we talk about creativity we want to look at not just these beautiful masterpieces we create but what are the challenges and problems we create like stress and once I realized that like I was the only person creating my stress not anything or anyone else I saw that I also could create a different way of being and so however we want our creative process to look, we get to choose that we get to design it. If we like it to be stressful, we can make it stressful. If we like it to be playful, we can make it playful. It can be joyful. It can be slow. It can be fast. It can be, we are the creators. And so we can decide how, how we want it to go. And just because it's been going certain ways for certain people for a certain period of time, it doesn't mean that we need to perpetuate that or continue that if it's not working for us, we, we get to choose. Yeah. And also how you manage the stress in your life too, because there's always going to be things that come up. This actually ties in with something I was going to bring up, another book that I really like, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. And she talks about a idea that she calls uh, the shit sandwich. <laughs> and... I am so glad you brought this up because I was going to bring this up too. I love it. This is, it's, it's my favorite. I mean, so what's great about this book is it's just a whole book of these little ideas, one to two pages long. And so you can read one each day and just kind of savor it and wrap your head around it. But they're incredibly motivating and really helpful in understanding some of your internal struggles around creativity. But so she talks a lot about fear and she talks about money. She talks about rejection. She like, she touches on all the, the subjects that, you know, that we, that we worry about when we're in these creative jobs or, or trying to fulfill our creativity. So yeah, so the shit sandwich is 
it's about the things that you are willing to endure in order to be able to do the thing you love. So basically the theory is that anything worthwhile doing always comes with its form of a shit sandwich. It could be you're a writer and the shit sandwich is struggling to make a living doing it, or you keep getting rejection letters, you know, but you keep doing it because that's how much you love it. And so I, what I love about it most is that it is a reminder to not play the victim role and that these hardships and frustrations are part of the creative process and how you endure them is directly correlated with how devoted you are to your craft. And what she says here is that, quote, that you don't get to leap from bright moments to bright moments, that it is how you manage time between these bright moments when things aren't going so great that will define your quality of life as an artist. And I've definitely found this to be true. Like sometimes I feel like every day there's something to process, some frustration or letdown to work through, some obstacle to overcome. But when I look back on my years as a chef or as a writer for the past couple of years, all I remember are the good parts. So it really, for me, is just about managing everything else in between every day so that you can still enjoy your life as an artist. I love that you brought this up. I feel like I was being like divinely prepared for this conversation these last <laughs> couple of days because I've never read that book before. But that, I just happened to listen to an interview with her the other day and she explained that concept. And so I just feel like, uh, I love the timing of things. It's so perfect. So I, I really take issue with, I haven't read the book. I've only listened to her explanation of it and your explanation of it right now. So I'm going to look more into it. But my first kind of the feeling I get around it, I agree with parts of it passionately, but I also vehemently disagree with parts of it. Hmm. Um, so I believe that there are challenges on our path. And I also believe that those challenges are not just something to to be managed. I would never use the imagery of a shit sandwich because I think it desanctifies the holiness of the challenges on the path. Mm. I don't believe these challenges are easy. You know, I've had many a moments of, you know, sobbing on the bathroom floor, feeling the depth of the pain that we're capable of experiencing on this planet in this physical form. Um, and especially if we want to, to be these creators, to offer our masterpieces, to contribute them to the world, as well as create every aspect of our lives, you know, we're, we're going against, we're going against the grain in that way. And mm -hmm. so there are a lot of challenges. And I think that the more that we grow, the bigger the challenges get. But I really disagreed with how she was describing it in this interview I was listening to around like, you know, whatever your purpose is, it's going to come with these shit sandwiches. And like, you just get to choose kind of like, what's the least shitty of the shit sandwiches you're going to be <laughs> ingesting along the way. And it, it uh -huh. was just like, I don't want to fucking live like, I, we get to choose our metaphors. We get to choose our analogies. And I was like, that's not the one. I just would never choose 
such imagery in relationship to my purpose, my dharma, my path for me. Our dharma is the most sacred thing that we have and anything related to it is automatically sacred. Everything is divine. Everything is perfect. And it's when the moment we put on that, that lens though of, oh, this is a shit sandwich, for example, we're automatically blocking ourselves from seeing what our soul is looking to experience, how it's looking to learn. For me, our struggles are our greatest training for our purpose, for the creativity that we'll use to bring our purpose into physical form. And I found that the less I resist the challenging moments and when I am willing to see the divinity of the challenge, it's such a beautiful, meaningful process that could bring me to tears just reflecting on on really challenging moments. But when we're willing to see the sanctity of them, the transformation that happens in those moments is it's it's so sacred. And then it informs, you know, the next part of our creative journey. And so I, I would agree in the part that there are challenges, but I would disagree with choosing any imagery that makes it seem like we don't want to experience them because our soul's creating our path and anything we're going through our soul has picked out to experience and you know this is where we find this unity in in all things it's not just the the pleasant moments where we're living our purpose but it's the painful moments too and we can when we can hold space for both you know the the pain and the pleasure on the journey and find our purpose in all of it that's when I feel like our creativity really flows. Yeah. You could also, you know, you could put a reframe on the challenge uh, too, to make it not such, like you said, like not a shit sandwich. I'm just thinking of things in my past where, you know, like, so when I became a private chef and I was commuting an hour each day from work and on you know, this is in San Francisco and on a game day, if the SF Giants were playing, it would be like an hour and a half getting home and I'm like stuck because they like closed King Street, you know? And I could relate to this this idea because I'm like, you know what? This, this is worth this, like sitting in traffic, which to me at the time felt like a shit sandwich, was worth the freedom of having my own schedule and uh, a well-paying job that was low stress and at that time that is exactly what i needed so i was willing to endure that but i mean by the time i got to hawaii i'm like i am selling my car and like not sitting in traffic ever again <laughs> if i have any way to do with it you know but so that, that to me like it, it tied in to that perfectly but I could have also reframed that and been like, you know, at this time, sitting in my car, I could be listening to a podcast, I could be meditating, I could be, you know, obviously with your eyes open, but <laughs> you can use it to your, your, you can always spin it to use it to your advantage. You're either learning something from it, you're growing from it, you're reframing it so that it's, it's actually different from what you're perceiving it to be. So yes, I think you're right. And I think that, again, I think that it's also like a, a useful tool for, for some people. I just love to cook. And I'm like, as long as I could be cooking, I don't care. You know, I, I was in the restaurant business for over a dozen years. And there's lots of shit sandwiches that goes along with that. But I endured because I loved 
cooking so much. And, you know, and it is a struggle being a writer um, because it doesn't pay uh, very well when you're first starting out. So I don't know. I'm not, I, like, I, I agree with you and I agree with the shit sandwich thing too. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I would say that a couple of things. I think it's going beyond, it's going beyond spinning it. I think it's going beyond the reframe. I think it's being willing and we're not trained to do this, you know, so this is really a new skill that we, we want to teach ourselves is to be able to look at something that is a struggle or is a challenge or feels annoying or feels devastating, you know, anywhere on that spectrum to not just endure it, to not just withstand it, but to look it directly in the face and to ask ourselves, like, what is this? Why have I created this? What is this looking to tell me? Mm-hmm. What am I looking to experience here? Maybe it's a quality that I'm trying to develop, like patience, for example, mm-hmm. or equanimity. Um, yeah, grit, for example. You know, how am I training myself for my purpose in this moment? I think it goes beyond spinning it. It's actually starting to dig into the truth of the matter. And sometimes we'll even ask a situation like, reveal your truth, like show it to me right now. Why did I create you? Why are you showing up in my life? Mm. And mm-hmm. when I'm willing to look at it that way, it'll be like, I'll just get this little flash of why it's there. And that has transformed and elevated. And this is like the alchemy has elevated some of the most destructive, devastating moments in my life into some of my best teachers and my most liberating moments and events. And then there's also the piece of learning through contrast. And so it's like, because we live in duality, we learn through contrast. So, you know, when you're sitting in your car being like, yeah, this kind of sucks. Look how it propels you in the opposite direction. When you get to Hawaii, I'm selling my car. I'm going to be like not in the car. So it kind of like, if, and we might grow light years faster by spending like that much time in traffic. You probably came to maybe came to that resolution faster then maybe you would have, it was only kind of mildly annoying. So I tend, right. I tend to find things that are the, the more frustrating that it is, the quicker I make the shift and the more I can get to my bliss, um, the more I can get to that state, that state faster or, or access it in, in a deeper way. And then, you know, I know you've talked about this before when it comes to things like, you know, not earning money as a writer or, or at least at first, this is where I'm like, that's a, that's a, a limiting belief that we have. It doesn't have to be that way here's where we really do get to be the creators. And so like we get to decide how much do we want to earn from our writing and you can use lots of different techniques. We've talked about the writing down technique, what we want. Um, We really do get to choose. And so, you know, anything that we feel like is challenging or hard, or we just think it is the way it is. My invitation to myself is, is to question that, to question everything that I think I know is true or it has to be this way. Because anytime we haven't had that statement of like, it has to be this way, or it's just this way, or the industry is this way, anything where it's like the collective has made it this way. For me, it's like this flashing red light of like, pay attention here. What do you want to believe is true? Because mm-hmm. that is something that blocks our creativity when we, when we just take on the collective's belief. And it can be super subtle. Sometimes I'll be like, this is so, I can't even believe that I believe this thing, but then it makes sense when we look at just all the programming that we receive constantly for, for decades of our life. And so I think that's what's been most transformational and liberating around creativity for me is just seeing that we do have the freedom to 
create anything to be the way that we want it to be. And the moment we kind of take off that, those, those restrictions from the collective, we unblock the flow of that, of that creativity. Because divinity is capable of anything. It literally comes with no limits. Now, Maura, what I've always loved about and respected about you most is you're, you have this ability to be extremely spiritual and philosophical while also maintaining a super professional work ethic with pristine follow through, <laughs> which is something that I have found <laughs> to be so rare. It's either people have one or the other. How do you maintain both like seemingly comfortably and how can people who are one or the other be both, do you think? I love and I adore you and I thank you for this question so much. You know much. exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, I do. I get just as excited to copy edit your draft like <laughs> as many times as needs be until every punctuation mark is in the perfect place. Even the ones that readers would not even know are not in the right place. Like I get such I just get such joy from doing that. So that's going to be my more like, you know, mortal half of the spectrum. And then I also whew, feel such joy and passion around tapping into the mystical and the spiritual and the divine. The reason why I feel like I can do that is because my dharma, my purpose is unity. So I believe that my soul trained my personality, my mortal half, to be this way so that I would be able to then share about unity with others. And so I don't think it's anything that, that other people are not capable of. I think we're all capable of it. I think this is our invitation as these hybrid beings is to unite our opposites. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing what I share because I've, I've gone really far in, in both directions on the spectrum and there's such pleasure and joy in both, but the most pleasure and joy is when we, we bring it together. So in order to cultivate, to cultivate that, um, my invitation would be first to identify which half of the spectrum are you on, because I fully agree with you when I look, you know, particularly in like the wellness space that we work in, either people are really tapped in spiritually, but they don't translate anything ever into physical form. Mm-hmm. which at the end of the day, like how useful is that? Or people are so stuck in the, in the form and the practical that they never, you know, open up to their divinity. And so they, they never can fully fulfill their potential again, mm-hmm. like how useful is that? And so first step would be identifying where we fall on the spectrum. Maybe we're way in one side or maybe we're more toward the middle. And then from there we balance through opposites. And so whatever we feel like we're lacking, start to explore that. So for someone who feels like they're super spiritual, super out there, super ungrounded, just like floating in the cosmos at all times with a zillion crystals around them, they would want to draw in some practices from the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, So that's going to be, you know, having a schedule, having a routine, you know, working with the earth element, doing types of yoga practices that are very grounding, very still, very stabilizing, very steadying, you know, and then, for example, people who are really into the form, into the practical, who are interested in the more spiritual and mystical, you start a meditation practice, you know, start, you know, maybe sign up for a workshop around 
a topic in that field that calls to you or, or read a book, you know, these can be really simple, simple steps. And I find that when we are willing to take, just take the first step, that's all we need to do is take the first step. Our soul, the universe, source, cosmos, God, whatever you want to call it, takes a zillion steps toward us. And the clues will start to reveal themselves on the next piece. It might just be this like podcast that we just feel called to listen to, or this book we feel called to read, or this person that we meet. Like people, places, and things will start to show up for us. Oh, yeah. To show us how to get get (laughs) center line so fast. Yeah. And so it's really just step one evaluate where we are on the spectrum. Two, where we want to be. Generally, that's going to be somewhere around center line. Maybe not, though, if we're looking at a different experience. But if we are trying to get to that center point, just take one step closer to center and then trust that the next invitation will arrive. Yeah, great advice. Um, And you mentioned books. Uh, You know, of course, I'm like obsessed with books. Are there any in particular that you would recommend for somebody who's trying to tap into their spirituality a little bit more? or start a spiritual practice. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many, but what's, I'll just go with what's coming through. First and foremost, I'd say for people looking to get a little bit more into the spiritual conversations with God is one of my favorite books. And then on the other half of the spectrum for people who are looking to get practical, um, I recently read the 5am club by Robin Sharma. And I just really loved his emphasis on routine, structure, schedule, and that you've got to be doing it daily. Um, if you <laughs> Man, I should have written that book. If you want to be world class, <laughs> like I literally, after reading that book, I used to do a like a one hour morning practice. Now I do a four hour morning practice. Whoa. Like if I want to train myself to be of the highest service, it, it requires that repetition. Like we're saying that that reprogramming of the subconscious. And so I found that book to be so inspiring. Um, His writing, especially there's this character called the Spellbinder who just gives these like motivational speeches. And I'm just like, it literally moves me to want to live my purpose in the highest way when I read those parts of the book. And so I think that he gives a lot of powerful frameworks and a lot of motivation too. So for people who are kind of more floating around in the spiritual space. I think that's a really beautiful invitation into the practical. Yeah. I, I've been on a routine like that for a long time. I get up at 5 a.m. every morning, do a two-hour morning routine. And I don't necessarily try to push it on anybody, although I do recommend it a lot because, you know, everybody's got different things going on in their lives and different schedules and jobs that will allow for this or allowed for that. But I have found in my life that when I started doing that, so many more opportunities came in. I had so much more time to do things that I wanted to do. Your productivity just skyrockets. There's so many benefits that come from, and I feel like the stricter your routine, actually more freedom you have. So I like, I mean, my calendar, like to like a, the average person probably looks like a nightmare because they're just like, holy crap, like you have so <laughs> many things scheduled. But for me, I always give myself plenty of time for each thing. There's there's scheduled free time, there's scheduled lunch time. 
And because of this, my body just flows every day. And I'm, I'm centered when I start my day because I've woken up early enough to be able to do this practice. And then when, once you start doing that, like once you start waking up early, you just automatically start becoming more tired earlier in the evening so you can go to bed earlier. I feel like your eating cycle gets on a, a much more routine pattern, which is obviously healthier for your digestion. I could go on for days. I'm I'm big. Like <laughs> <laughs> I seriously could have written totally, that book. <laughs> I totally agree with you, and it's something that I admire about you because I know that you have your sacred morning routine, and I can tell because your ability to deliver quality from this place of passion and purpose—you know, combining the quantity and the quality. And, and the connection to your intentions is, is truly phenomenal and is something that I admire about you. And so I, it makes so much sense that your practice has been so meaningful for you. And I 100% agree. The biggest invitation that I offer to everyone that I work with is to start a regular morning practice. Um, I've been doing mine for, I guess, about five years now. And I truly believe that it has been the most transformational part of my journey in terms of uniting those two halves of, of the spectrum. And so I, I just recommend it to everyone. And so I, I celebrate you for, for sticking with yours because I find it's also the piece that most people are resistant to. Uh, even though, as you're saying, the more repetition that you have with it, it just becomes like, it yeah, becomes you, like a habit. And you've I got to so do it every agree. day. You've got you to do it every day. You spend yeah. days like it's just not going to flow. And it's like, you know, when you look at it from the yoga lens, it's that balance of stira and sukha, the steadiness and, and the spaciousness, you know, the, the structure and the spaciousness. And so I totally agree with you. And this is where when we talk about these two different halves of the spectrum, the farther we go in one half of the spectrum, the more it opens up the other half of the spectrum to us. So the more Absolutely. structured that we are, it opens up that spaciousness. And so I fully, I fully hear you on that. I think it's one of the most supportive things that, that we can do um, because, you know, when we create that structure, we're creating this stable, clear, steady container in our body, our mind, and our heart. And that's when we create that, that space where, where that inspiration, you know, inspiration, the root, word of, the root part of that being, you know, the inspire, that's spirit, right? And so it's like, the more that inspiration, that spirit can come through us. So I'm so on board with, with the morning practice. Yeah. I mean, how you do anything is how you do everything. And totally, especially what do you do first thing in the day? Cause it's like, then how the rest of your day goes and how your day goes is how your life goes. Yeah. And, and if you can, and if you can do these daily practices, if you can really stick to them, do them every day, like your follow through starts becoming so much more impeccable because you're like, you know that you can, you can, yeah. do, you can do it. You're like, I can do this every day. Cause I do this other thing every day. Like I can do that, <laughs> yes. you know, like, and you start like reframing your way of thinking and your way of living. I really do believe that, that how you do anything is how you do everything. If you continually oversleep or if you continually like really don't give a shit about what you're eating or whatever, that's going to roll into how you do other things in your life too. Like missing deadlines or missing workouts or if you're like hitting the mark always on these things, then that, that's just going to spill into like every part of your life. I couldn't agree with you more. For me, that's really, that's really the unity. 
that everything is connected. And so like you're saying, how we do one thing is how we do, how we do everything. And so, you know, we get to, we get to decide, we get to create how we, how we want it to be. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about all of the amazing tools that you offer to your clients when you're working with them. So for all the listeners out there, Laura's got tools for days. <laughs> everything <laughs> from God, everything from structure outlines to yoga nidra recordings, like any kind of tool you can think of, this girl has got. If she doesn't have it, she will whip one up for you. <laughs> it's like truly amazing. And I'm like, I'm a very visual and kinesthetic learner. So I really appreciate these because Sometimes if it's just a phone call, it's hard for me to internalize and remember something that I have only heard and not seen. So these documents have been really helpful for me, especially the structure outline and the tool for writing article angles. Can you talk a little bit about some of your favorite tools for creativity and how you came up with the designs and which ones you have seen to be the most effective for your clients? Powerful question. I'm so happy. It gives me such joy to know that you find all of those materials useful. Because my mission is unity, I aim with my coaching resources to draw from and to unite what I find to be the gems from as many different uh, holistic disciplines as I can. And that's where really like my journalist reporter background comes in is that I want to go out there you know, research as much as I can, practice them on myself, digest the information so that I can just then give the highlights in this very digestible, you know, one, two page resource so that other people don't have to spend all that time going out there to do that. And then on the creative half of the, of the resources, it's aiming to, you know, break down whatever the project is, whether it is an article or it's a book or anything we're looking to create to to give ourselves that structure like we were just talking about to break down the key concepts to really build a system and a process that we can rely on so that we're not having to reinvent the wheel anytime that that we want to build anything so in terms of my favorites i would say that the ultimate one is the one we were just talking about having a morning practice and so i customize a personal practice for everyone who i co-create with it has that underlying system, but it gets personalized based on our numerology, our astrology, our Ayurveda, so that it'll be the the perfect practice for each person. And those are, you know, my favorite tool is is yoga because it's for me how it was taught to me is that it's, you know, two main goals, although it has countless benefits physically mentally emotionally spiritually that its two main benefits are experiencing the unity since yoga means union and then also revealing our dharma um, and empowering us to live it our purpose and so because those are its two aims and they align so much with with my mission i love drawing from the yoga system because i feel like all of its practices are leading us forward toward those two goals and in addition to that they're all there also are just so many different practices, whether it's chanting mantra or, you know, an asana, a pose or a breathing technique. It's just such a holistic system. And there's so many different styles of it. There's so many different ways to practice it. You know, even within a style, 
we can go about our practice in so many different ways is I just feel like it's like this this endless field of exploration and we can always customize it to be exactly um, how we need it to be. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I would say cycle syncing, which I mentioned previously is one of my other favorite techniques. That's where we sync our whole life as females. If we have a menstrual cycle with our menstrual cycle, how we exercise, how we eat, how we work, how we socialize, how we, how we basically do everything because I find that then we can sync ourselves with when we feel most creative and we can then do our creative work during those times. Ayurveda I find to be super helpful because it has different times of day. And so the Vata, there's three different kind of components or like types in Ayurveda. The Vata type is generally going to be the most creative. And so from you know, they, the three different types govern different times of day. So for example, the Vata times of day are 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. and 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. So during those windows, it is said that we can tap into our creativity the most during those times. And so I find that to be a really helpful system to draw from um, in terms of what can let us access that, that Vata energy, but in a, in a stable way. And then my other favorite practice I would say would be would be numerology. And so that's the system of of numbers that all people, places, and things can be broken down to a numerical vibration. Because when we know our own numerology, when we know the numerology of, you know, the day of the week, for example, the hour of the day, they all have different energies to them. And we have different energies to ourselves. And so when we can partner with the vibe rather than fighting against it, then we're going to be able to tap into more, into more creativity. And then in terms of the, the creative resources, for me, it's always about getting down to the angle. So for me, that's like the purpose or the dharma of any creative project is what is the theme? What is the angle? What is the central concept? What is the theme? There's so many different words for it. When we understand what that is, and we execute that in every aspect of of the project, then we're going to be able to to tap into our creativity more because it's all going to be serving serving a central purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it, Maura. Is there anything else you would like to share with us today on the topic of creativity before we wrap up? For me, it, it comes down to just really offering again what I shared earlier of our creativity is limitless. It is unique to us. We can tap into it at any time. We can apply it to anything in our life from, you know, our, our work to our relationships to anything, any aspect of our life. And so just continuing to, to encourage us to, to explore it to not see it as a luxury, to not see it as elusive, to not see it as something outside of ourselves. We were created, I, I believe, by, by, a, by a creative force, by some kind of source. So that means that that, that creative power is, is in each of us. And so I know in my own practice and what I, what I hope to inspire others to explore as well, is, is accessing that flow of creativity within so that we can then channel it in order to live our purpose, which I believe is, is what each of our creativity is for. 
So when we can figure out what our purpose is, then we know what to direct our creativity toward because I truly believe that that's our, our greatest source of fulfillment as well as, as our greatest service to the wholeness. And speaking of purpose, you have some exciting news to share with us today, correct? Yes, correct. Um, <laughs> so after five years in business, I finally am going online. I hadn't had any kind of online presence for the last couple of years because for me that putting myself through my own system was critical for me to really embody my mission before, before sharing it with others. And so I finally will be having a website. And so everything that I mentioned today, um, you know, it's, it's referenced throughout the site. And so if anyone feels called to, to dig further into any of these concepts or teachings, my invitation to you is to, to come check it out and then to, to reach out to me to connect if you're, if you're feeling moved at all by these perspectives and, and these teachings. Which I highly recommend. And, <laughs> and what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? The best way is going to be through the website and on the contact form. They can, you can submit any type of questions or insights there, or you can sign up and, and join our community to receive our newsletter on the website as well. Also on Instagram right now, I'm posting a global street art series that is, it's one message, but it's made up of all of these different smaller messages that I shot around the world over the last couple of years in, in different countries and put them together to create one message. So you can connect with me on Instagram as well, either, you know, comments in the photos or direct message, what, whatever feels most comfortable and exciting to you. And what is your handle and what is your website name? I'll, I'll link both of those on the show notes, but just so people know. Perfect. Yeah. It's alchemy, A-L-L-K-H-E-M-I.com. And the handle on Instagram is the same at alchemy, A-L-L-K-H-E-M-I. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Maura. Thank you so much. This has been such an incredible opportunity. I respect and care for and adore you and your work so much. You hold such a special place in my heart. So thank you so much for this opportunity to connect with you as well as with your community. It means so much to me. Oh, it means a lot to me too. Thank you. Now, I'd love to hear from all you listeners out there. So please let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show, the team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you. So please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R. -E or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.